Alrighty, Jim Clare, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for for the time today. How are you? Good. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for uh, hounding me down and and asking me to be on. No, I really wanted to. I um I saw you do an interview on YouTube about I don't know three months ago, and then had it in the back of my head for a while that I'd like to pick your brain for a little bit. So thanks for the time. For people who who haven't heard you uh, had haven't heard of you before, could you just give us a bit of an idea of who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I guess more more of my online presence, I guess you could say lately. So I was previously starting around 2000 or a copywriter. So I was previously in the car business before that. And then um, in 2010, I got into copywriting. So in, in particular, direct marketing, online marketing, and primarily affiliate marketing. So if anyone's ever heard of ClickBank or uh, you know affiliate sales, I was doing that. And I got in, in the seduction space, which is an interesting space. Uh, so I got in there in 2010. And then I think in 2014... Well, that company that actually that I left was, I mean, it was a terrible disaster. There just was very poorly managed. It was bought by Ty Lopez and Ty Lopez is the guy who, uh, who's now being, well, is bankrupt with Radio Shack, but he was, uh, the, this is my Lamborghini and I want knowledge. So he, he bought it. I left, uh, on the word, someone else gave me, told us, don't work with this guy, Ty. He's, he's, he's too, he's too scummy. Uh, so I left and then I got into the health space. So primarily weight loss, fitness, supplements, everything like that. And I thought that was actually gonna be a lot cleaner than dating and seduction, but it isn't. <laughs> so I got into that and I sort of, I guess you could say I, I was getting, I literally couldn't look at myself in the mirror after a period of time. I mean, I had a couple of successful offers under my belt. Uh, I worked with a company called, uh, well, the big offer was called Venus. And there was a writer there who's a real, who's the beast behind it, a guy named Kyle. And, uh, you know, Yoga Burn was kind of the feather in my cap offer, I guess you could say there. But they had a whole bunch of different offers that he and I worked on. But I couldn't look at myself in the mirror anymore because the offers were so scammy. And the higher up I kind of got in that world, you know, because Venus was very incredibly successful, which brings a lot of people out of the woodwork to want to work with you or you know, ask you questions and everything like that. So I was kind of behind the scenes of a lot of people. And I saw a ton of gurus and a ton of ideologies just misleading people. I saw so many shenanigans behind the scenes. I mean, it's it's wild when a you know copywriting mentor who promises, you know, to make you millions of dollars to ask you money to get rent and things like that. Like that's a common thing they find. And so I just couldn't do that anymore. I really couldn't look at myself in the mirror, as I said a couple of times. And I left. Uh, it took me a little bit to leave. And then I guess you could say around 2020, I launched my uh, website and I started talking about gurus and exposing their the kind of the scams. Um, not quite like CoffeeZilla where I'm just hard hitting the scams. I'm kind of, you know, I am showing what's behind the scenes, but exposing the scams and exposing now more so the ideologies of of what I call success or capital S success, which I believe really is like a religion. And that capital S success world goes into all types of personal and professional self-development from, you know, if you want to do better at your, uh, you know, at a more corporate job, there's all types of mindset books and hustle books and marketing books, you know, there it's, so it's a whole kind of line of thinking. And then also that wades into also the personal self-development as well as mindset habits and all of that. So I kind of speak about that since I, on one end, had worked and know some of those people who were in that world. Um, and then and I kind of see, well, the, the fascinating aspects and the bizarre aspects of that world. So that's what I write on. It's an interesting thing. Like I finished high school and I reckon from 20 to 22, I was very into, it, it almost becomes a part of your identity, like self-development. Right. At a certain point in everybody's life, I'm sure, and maybe it hits everyone differently. But for me and a lot of my friends, it became that obviously once you're not in something, you can see it in the rearview mirror like that hu- you you thought about hustle all the time and wanting to wake up early and work hard and be really efficient and stuff. And it does become part of your mindset. And and maybe later on you feel like it it almost had a bit of a religious perspective to it. But it's only you're only able to see it in hindsight. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fascinating world because on one end, it, it's I'm glad that it, it exists on one end because it, it, you know, it's people reaching for better, mm. right? Because they want to better themselves. And that's a great thing. And not a lot of people actually are willing to reach for better um, and do better, right? They just kind of take what what's coming along and they don't ask themselves to do any better. So here is this world that promises them and also does offer some tangible insights and methods to better themselves whatever that may be but it so quickly jumps off the rails yeah right like there's a lot of people i mean as i just said you know a lot of people who want to better themselves but they it's easy to really avoid you know bettering yourself and just have a whole bunch of tactics and habits and i read the right books i read this it's just kind of busyness to hand over you know your agency to something else and not really actually do anything but you're not really realizing it. it's like well i have all the habits so i'm living my best life right or i'm i'm or i'm hand copying uh you know all the right sales letters i mean i have nothing against hand copying i hand copied tons of sales letters but you know there's kind of a, this busyness and this hamster wheel that it can quickly uh descend into and it's a you know i believe it's kind of this superfluous distraction that people get themselves into so they're already self-motivated but then it's like okay well, then they focus their motivation on the habits or reading the nine books every entrepreneur read before they turn 40 or whatever yeah so it's just kind of fascinating how it kind of wades into those mm. uh, not, not just wades like you can quickly fall off the edge yeah going back to the copy side of things like we said off air you, you said off air it's a very very broad question from your perspective, having been in the industry, to someone like myself who's a layman who up until maybe two years ago didn't even know there was a whole industry of people who write the best sales lines to get people through the door. Like I didn't even know that was an industry. Could you explain what copy is? Yeah, sure. I Well, it's funny you mentioned that I didn't even know the industry. When I first started writing copy, mm. I had no idea for a couple of weeks or almost about a month that I was writing copy. You know, because I came from the car business and I was pretty successful in the car business. And I walked into, of all places, a basement. And I'm here in uh, the state of Colorado in the United States, which is uh, you know, where the Rocky Mountains mm. or a lot of the ski resorts are by here. So I walked into a basement and they had me writing at that time copy. And I had no idea, but uh, they're like, oh, yeah, you're doing great with these these emails and I had, you know, I had no idea what it was, but I knew it was basically, I was, they were just like, can you just sell this program by email? And I was like, all right. You know, and I had known I'd sown cars for years. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing in, in a basement here. Um, yeah. But you know, they keep saying they're making this, you know, millions yeah. of dollars of money. I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going to keep showing up because this is interesting. But what copy is coming out of that, it is sales writing in a sense, right? It, it's mainly, you know, it's perfect, what I call more professional or business writing. And it is the business writing that is hoping to present either a product or a personality or a brand in a, in a light that compels people, or a light that markets the person or the brand or the product, or you're outright trying to get that sale. And it varies, right? A lot of copy is one to all the copywriters who think everything is copy. Not everything is copy. That that's if you're thinking that you're going to get, you know, you're going to start reading everything under the wrong light, or you're just gonna. That's a quick way to get average is to think all books and everything like the dictionary. Oh, that's copy, bro. <laughs> uh, not really. So, but what copywriting is? Yeah, it is sales writing, but it, it does go expand beyond that. So there's direct copywriting or direct marketing which is you know which was the old school letters you know that people would send they get in the mail and it, you know it could be a real long form sales letter or even what would look like would look like a magazine and it would be selling a particular product and you still get those things you know if you, you went to university or you subscribe to a certain magazine sometimes you get you know a letter asking for money or to or whatever so that's considered you know that would consider that copy or your dentist might send you you know something about uh coming in for an appointment or uh other such and then on the internet you know it is like the you know what i was writing in copy was a bit you know video sales letters primarily and emails primarily so the video sales letters work like an infomercial at night you know you're writing a script you know they run anywhere from about 15 to 34 minutes or even longer you know, and you're writing a script that hopes to get the person to buy or take some sort of action, usually buy. I mean, it could be an action like, you know, click a link. 
And, uh, you know, then you have email marketing, which is all the emails. I mean, everyone is probably knows they can go in their inbox and it's everything they don't want to read. <laughs> this is a lot of that. Mm. And so, and then you can even go into, I think what a lot of copywriters, especially in the online marketing sphere forget is that, you know, something like a brochure, you know, for various businesses, even though it faces, it has the business jargon that a lot of online copywriters don't like, even though online copywriters or direct marketers have their own jargon. Um, it's just a different form of jargon, which isn't good. But it, uh, yeah, you know, you get the brochure to buy in a community real estate thing, right? Like, oh, this is the, you know, the the McMaster's community of, of Fremantle, Australia. It's all X, Y, Z, whatever it is. You know, that's also copy. So it's anything, usually sales-based, and uh, anything yet yeah, to really present a product brand personality in the hopes of an of an action is taken, usually buying or purchasing. With the email marketing, because everybody that listens to this podcast has been emailed something they didn't want that they didn't open, trying to sell them something. Is the goal from your perspective, sending those emails out, are you expecting only a certain amount of people are even going to open this email? I know, let's say 50% of people aren't, they're going to throw this straight in the trash. But once they open it, the goal is how many, like, uh, is there like an uptick, uh, a ratio of who you want to to get involved from it? Yeah, it, it really, it, it very much depends on the business model mm. uh, that you're running and also the type of promotion you're running and also really the type of business that you're, you are in. And then within that business, what kind of, clientele are you going after right are, are you going after you know what is their income status or the social hierarchy status what is that i mean when i was in affiliate marketing which is very aggressive you really have the email open rates you know like 20 or 30 percent is amazing but you're only focusing on customers who are two weeks old or younger you're not focusing on anyone else after that because you're sending them so many emails from various different products with commission deals that you're, that you're going to burn them out. And you're going to realize that you're going to burn them out. At least that the big players recognize like anyone who's older than 14 days isn't worth it, isn't worth that much to us, right? Their, their dollar worth goes way, way down after they're a month old, you know, forget it. So those open rates are going to be a lot Um you know, lower, it, well, I mean, it'll be higher in the first two weeks, but if you're having a customer list of customers who are a year old mixed in with customers who are three days old, that's going to really kind of skew the average. Opens are certainly one thing. I mean, there is a, a couple of general things with, with emails. Opens are certainly one thing. You are going to generally find a baseline, right? You see these guys on Twitter or other places like, oh, I have 70% opens. Well, you probably have three people on your list, right? So like one person to open, wow, <laughs> something, <laughs> um, you know, or you have a, you know, or you're, or you're dialing down on a list. So it really does depend, you know, certain lists like Agora has some lists where they get two to 3% opens and that's great. I mean, that number may have changed. I heard that number a while ago and that's on, on certain lists. So opens are certainly one thing. Opens generally tell you list health. And again, it depends on, on, on what you're doing. Personalities, like I don't really mind. I don't really, like my opens are really, really high. You know, I have a couple thousand people on my list, but I'm not like, oh, wow, I got 50% on opens. Like I, I know it because they're waiting so long for that between articles, but opens on the whole kind of, or, or a metric of your list health a little bit, how many people are opening. It shouldn't really skew that much. I mean, there are going to be some headlines that are going to be total eggs that won't do anything. And there are going to be some headlines that are going to be a complete grand slam, but it should probably have a, a general open list. And that doesn't mean you, you shouldn't try to improve it. Uh, but it's on the whole, you can test it every which way you want. But after a couple of years, it kind of shows you your more or less your list health and kind of your expectations. Opens are one thing, but click through rate and earnings per email, not not earnings per click. A lot of people will try to say EPC, which is earnings per click. That, that doesn't mean anything, uh, really. I mean, it's not bad to look at, but how much does an email earn you if you're trying to get a sale from that particular email, even if you're making, even if you're having them click a link that goes to a separate page 
how much money is that particular email earning? That's a that's a far more important number. Or if you're trying to get clicks to a particular page, that's kind of where you see people are are engaged with you. You know, if you send out an email, hey, I have a new XYZ up, how many people are clicking out of those opens? That's where you that's kind of the more important number to uh focus on. I guess with the scammy stuff and with the sales stuff, you were talking about it becoming to a point where you were having trouble looking at yourself in the mirror working in this industry. Obviously, to throw a big blanket statement on the whole industry being, I guess, predatory or unethical wouldn't be very um, fair. I don't, I don't imagine. So, what what aspects of the industry was 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 giving you trouble? uh morally i guess which part of the industry were you struggling with yeah i mean to 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 un to dissect that a little bit i think there is a lot of people think copywriting or online marketing is scammy and a lot and a large part of it is but i think there is but a lot of people aren't purposely running scams because they don't really know any better right they their moral compass has been so tied up inside of conversions attention or, or all the other various what i call it you know like the gods of success right so it's so tied up in that but they are the scammiest tends to be the loudest in the room so they are the most noticeable but then i would say a degree below that is kind of they're not necessarily scammy but it's that more ted talk tight vibe where everything sounds the same of mindset we're changing the world's consciousness and consciousness marketing they don't, they mean well, but it's so empty and in vain, right? Mm-hmm. And then there is a very, there, it's, and then there's kind of along that lines is kind of like the corporate jargon copy of which makes no sense. You know, it's, it's the copy that like you know, Disney's going to put out, right? It doesn't say anything or, you know, it'll say fear creates focus or some, you know, some platitude or something like that. Yeah, but yeah. then there is an, there, but they can't, you know, they're, they're tied to regulators, so they can't really be very dishonest, but there is a small group, I think, or, or a sizable group, even though it's a smaller who are very honest, who want to be honest and it's, and it's tough to do it. Uh, and they exist in all types of, uh, of all industries. What made it tough for me? I mean, I was making great money. I think the last, the very last year I, I made after taxes was something like 1.6 million American dollars. Right. And and so, I mean, at one point I'm kind of like, oh my God, you know, I'm making all this money, but I I kept trying to delude myself in that. Right. I mean, I, I, I did really well in the car business before that, but when I went into this online marketing world, I cast all of that aside and I don't know why, you know, I can't, it could have been my dad's passing or whatever it was. I just cast everything about that I had learned before aside. And it's like, this is the Holy grail. But what got me the most, uh, or it was a, a couple of things. The first one was probably how much we were lying, right? I mean, um, I realized like some of the days I woke up, it, it was going to spend all day, even though we were running on Google and everything, we were going to spend all day trying, or I was going to spend most of my day trying to rework something that got shut down for good reasons because the claims were outrageous i was going to rework it around because we we talked to legal and then i was going to see how i was going to reword it around legal to make it sound legal even though it wasn't but i was like how can i rhetorically dance around this to make these lies and i was like geez i am i you know we're hearing from legal what we can't say and i'm now trying to figure out how i can get around that Mm. You know, and then I was like, oh, you know, and I and I first tried the, oh, well, it's just, geez, it's just these guys, you know, you got to sell them what they want and give them what they need, but they don't understand the sales cut. These guys, these legal guys just don't understand copy. You know, they're just scared of sales or, you know, they don't understand that we're really helping people. But when I kept coming back to that, we're helping people. I actually do think that the Venus program and everything was really good. And I'm not, you know, I, I I still have enormous amount of respect for the gods in Venus, even though I have questions with their moral obligations, but I have, but the knowing some of the other ClickBank right. marketers or not just ClickBank, but all the other affiliate marketers in my sphere, the lies were getting crazy. You know, we were like, we were coming up with, Oh you know, we're going to make an 80 year old woman who was on death's doorstep, who was uh, obese and turn her into like a thin 
svelte woman or something like a high, like that person doesn't even exist like we're, like we're coming up with with characters that don't even exist or you know or you know we're getting a or we're fielding a call from someone yeah. else who had a weight yeah. loss offer about someone who was you know fighting off in the war in saudi arabia and a binder fell on their head and in this binder was ancient weight loss secrets <laughs> just crazy yeah. shit <laughs> like and the making of the, you know, and this person, this was Wesley, like Wesley Virgin, and he had the name of Kyle Cooper, which yeah, came from yeah, that yeah. American movie or the American sniper, Chris Kyle. Bradley Cooper played uh, Chris Kyle, and the mm. name of the person was Kyle Cooper, and he was a sniper in the Marines or whatever, and a binder hit his head with weight loss secrets. And I'm like, you know, and, and we're, we're coming up with these crazier and crazier lies and then even so that was on one end and then the other aspect was well i believed in the products that actually we had i thought they were okay you know they're not as good as say someone going and getting a trainer but i don't think they were going to directionally lead you wrong but then taking all of these customers all of these men and women full of hope full of hope that this is going to finally work and then instantly hammering them with nonsense like we're just lying to them you know we're, we just sold them now we're selling them some magical supplement that they can sprinkle on the coffee that's going to eliminate their brown fat like what or they're going to get a, an offer about some some uh herbs that they're sitting right now in their their kitchen cabinet that's going to lose that's going to you know burn off 84 pounds in a month like these this is just craziness so knowing that i was lying like that i just couldn't do it and then the business model i kept running up against that like the car business my experience in the car business kept coming back to me i'm like this is just like i sold them a car you know we'll say i i was at toyota for a while i sold them a a brand new toyota camry and then when they finished signing the papers i'm going to take them down the street to the chevrolet dealer and be like, well, here, now you want an Impala. I'm like, like, I get it. You're trying to extract as much money as it can. But it's just like, we just sold them on this. I think it's mm. actually pretty good what we got. Why don't we have, why don't we sell them on other things that we have here or keep them in the, you know. It, and it, I just kept running against that. So the, the lies, the weird business model, you know, the, the, that's kind of, a, you know. Yeah. And then also knowing that, uh this whole we'll create the offer first and the product later, but you you just completely sell, you just completely create something out of thin air that's complete nonsense, and nothing's ever going to match those promises. You're like you you learn how to look for these stretches. So I mean, I got really good at stretch claims, and you know that's how I could dance around things. Like I could play, I learned how to play numbers with math, um, how to make you know the 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 teeniest tiniest study. I mean, you can find anything you want to say on health on PubMed anything you want to say like oh you know looking out of your left eye three times you will have burned fat like you know, <laughs> you want it you find it it's on there and i'm learning how to like play numbers with a math i'm like okay well this is you know it's a point oh 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 one percent improvement over a baseline but the previous baseline is zero so i'm like oh this is a thousand percent improvement or something like, yeah not really, you know. So that 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 to me, yeah. doing that for years, and then knowing all of the, these people, and then on the other side, I think I was, I was also buying these. This, you know, the gurus kind of keep selling this idea of, uh, oh, you gotta you gotta be constantly be a student. You gotta constantly be a student. You gotta constantly be a student. Now, there's that that's directionally right, right? It's always good to always be learning and self-educating. That's very important. But it's this idea that you keep underselling yourself. So I would go into a mastermind. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my God, why? And I was kind of like, why am I here? And even the guy I was working with, it's like, those like, he called everyone that I call scam, scam. It's like, that's a scam. That's a scam. This guy's a scam. Even though he was, I'm like, geez, you're running some real unethical <laughs> stuff. But he's like, this stuff, those whole masterminds. He always be like, why are you going? This stuff's such a waste of time. It's like, it's just such a waste. Like, you don't need it. These guys don't know anything. And I go in there and I'm like, no, I gotta, you know, I gotta learn. I gotta, yeah. just, and then I get, show up there and I'm just like, why am I here? You know, what am I doing here? 
and then I realized because, you know, a group, my family ran, uh, you know, I was a third generation car guy. And so, you know, my, my dad ran an automotive empire and then, you know, he, his best friends, you know, they were all their big car dealers. So I'm like, here, I grew up kind of around these super successful people. And here are all these people selling super success. I'm like, I know people who are her net worth are way into the billions of them and who came up from nothing and they have done nothing of what you said here. Right? Like they're not, they don't do focus any of this stuff. So that was sort of it. I mean, that it was that big culmination of all of those things, yeah. like a combination of all of that, you know, lying, you know, looking at myself, waking up, being like, I need to wake up and figure out how to lie around legal today. I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Just, just could not do it anymore. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, that would that would fuck with you. Yeah. And I guess the money, I've got a few friends. Uh, I used to live over in Vancouver, uh, over in Canada, and I made friends with a few people that started pretty successful tech jobs and made quite good money over there working good hours, not crazy overtime or anything like that, but were doing some fairly unethical things. And the the way you can sort of convince yourself to stay in a job like that, that is really fucking with and bending your, I guess, moral, moral code. I could see how it, easy it is for somebody to do that given the right circumstances. Thankfully, I've not had to be in that position yet. Talking about the sales stuff, for people that are like going on the internet just day to day, looking on websites or whatever, I can sort of already imagine the sorts of scammy copy and sales. They're usually those boxes at the bottom of websites that you look up and it's like a photo of somebody's body changing from like super fat to abs. And sometimes their skin tone's not even the same. Like it's not like they've had a fake tan either. Um, So I can sort of imagine in my head picking out scams myself. But for people listening, how would you pick out scams, like scammy sales? Well, yeah, I mean, well, you just nailed one. I mean, you see those things, the or the five vegetables that make you fat, and it's a weird picture of yeah. some, I don't know what it is. They, they got like a super close-up of uh, like a the heart of like a fruit on someone's hand or something like that. <laughs> Though <laughs> that's a pretty good sign. You yeah. know? It is tough on one end because it, unfortunately there are a lot of well-meaning people who learn these tactics and think it's the right thing to do, yeah. but they don't really, they, like they're not understanding that it's not quite ethical. Yeah. Massive uh, or any sort of promise where it's like 10 times your income, five times your income, where it's just these big claims based on, you know, a lot of hyperbole. That's usually that's a big red flag. You know, if someone's like, oh, I just do these three secrets and two to one funnels and this and that. And I made six million dollars like they, they start throwing around numbers so cavalierly or throwing around claims so cavalierly. Mm. And it sounds amazing. Right. Because like, oh, I was just in my mom's basement and it's down in my last hundred. And then I learned these three secrets that I'm going to show you right now. And I just now I'm at ten million dollars and I have this. So the the, the biggest thing is. They start throwing out claims and you kind of want to look at a lot of this as if you're not a venture capital investor who want a VC, who want to like, oh my God, you have an idea. Here's $10 million, right? Yeah. You want to think of more, much more like the accountants who come in before it goes public. Like what is behind this claim or as opposed to what is a big, is an easy question. Like, do you want to make money? Well, it quite as opposed to what? No, I don't want to make money. Like, Okay. <laughs> So when the claim is so outrageous and based on nothing and just promising you so much without knowing who you are or knowing what your business is, that's a big red flag. The more, yeah, those, it's funny you mentioned those ads. A lot of those ads are purposely designed to look a little bit sketchy and look a little bit ghetto, like you found some kind of odd secret. I mean, if it looks terrible, it's probably designed to look terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, like the kind of fuzzy graphics, like if you see a PowerPoint slide and the mm-hmm. words are kind of fu- that's all carefully to make it look like that. I mean, that's another sign. Any sort of when they start throwing a lot of jargon around that it, a hard or one that's a lot of people have a hard time saying, but or or thinking in the moment is, can this be said about anything? Like if that copy can be said about anything. Like, oh, you're going to, you know, 40 times your real estate sales with this okay. one secret. It's like, well, I, 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 you don't know that. 
like I, you know, you don't, maybe it'll help me, but 40 times where you, where are you arriving at that number? You know, how do you, how are you getting there? That's kind of a, you know, when though, when it starts failing those questions, you know, how are you getting there? How are you arriving at this? Or you found a binder, you know, how are you getting there? If it starts kind of adding up, or there's a lot of question marks, that's usually a good sign. That's, that's uh, BS. The question I was going to ask you earlier when it came to the email stuff, you mentioned maturity of, I guess, a customer. And you're talking about how uh, if something was two weeks old, after it being two weeks old, the amount of times they're going to open emails would drop off. When you talk about that, is that in relation to somebody signing up for a newsletter and within that two weeks of signing up, you're going to just pump them with emails? Like, how does that work? So how most of the affiliate marketing works um, is you'll see like one of those ads that we just talked about of, you know, the five vegetables that make you fat. I never eat this vegetable to make, you know, because it causes, (laughs) it makes this, you know, this cauliflower just packs on weight like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) Um, So you see that, then you see the video that plays um, and then you get a a click to link to buy. So when you buy, that puts you on an email list. Most good affiliate marketers or online marketers like that aren't going to try to get you on an email list uh, and then try to buy because they find that a lot of those people get skeptical really quickly. Okay. And it's just kind of an and it's kind of an additional step that it's unnecessary. So if you're really good, you just go right for the customers. So you get that and you get on an email list. And the funny thing is, is you you send an email or two that or right when they buy that sells that email that you're going to get actionable advice from carefully vetted people, because I just want to make sure that you get this, you know, that you get every resource you need to lose the weight, even though you found the absolute best thing to lose the weight. Sometimes, you know, I just find that I, after carefully vetting these ideas, you're going to really enjoy this, right? So you you sell them that, which is BS, right? You don't carefully vet it. It, it's all a lot of it is done by deals, uh, commission deals. Some of it is uh, there's actual you know partnership deals where people will pay to be in particular when you send that particular slot. Yeah. So what happens is yes, you, they they sign that they buy they get their name is on an email list. That's generally what happens when you have to buy anything, and then instantly you hammer them with emails. Sometimes two, three times a day of different offers. Okay. Uh, you can you can set it up where if they click, you know, if they open but don't click, then you hit you send the opens or you send the clicks but didn't buy. So you just chase them all over their email inbox for for days. And there's even guys who will do sort of illegal cookie type things where they will click the email and then it'll kind of send you. So all of a sudden you go on, you know, you go to your news site or whatever, and you can't escape the five vegetables that make that make you fat. Uh, you see it everywhere. It just it just permeates and pervades, just deluges your or your <laughs> internet experience. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, usually it's your email inbox. You want to get those first few emails going, and then you just try to make as much money as you can. The reason why you are doing that is the upfront. So a lot of those uh, video sales that are running. You know, if you go on ClickBank right now, although it, it it changes when the market changes sometimes, but if you go on and you see the five vegetables that makes you fat, sometimes you're almost spending a million dollars a week to run that thing in your ad spend. When you're paying for that amount of money and your product is somewhere between $27 to $77 up front, it's, you're very lucky if you break even on that ad spend, but you, likely you're not going to. So the first couple of emails is what covers the cost of that ad spend. And then everything else after that is what you're hoping to re is where you're hoping to get the profit from. And with the ad spend side of things, like these days, the company I work for will do like targeted ads on Facebook or targeted ads on Google or targeted ads, sorry, on Instagram, where you can sort of dial down the niche of who you want to attract to a product you're trying to sell or a service you're trying to provide with a $1 million ad spend budget. Are you just focusing on eyeballs or is it niche? 
Well, it's a couple of things. I mean, there are people who will focus on eyeballs and there are people who will focus on niche. And the direct marketing affiliate space, you're focusing on, you're trying to find traffic that isn't necessarily called what you call junk traffic. Um, so you, you're trying to find traffic where it will send buyers. So you, you're trying to find uh, websites or uh, even email newsletters. You know, you can buy a purchase on a newsletter where they were they are more apt to buy in that particular space, right? So if you're, you know, like in women's weight loss, and you're trying to focus on women who are 35 to 47. Uh, you know, they, they've had two, two kids, something like that. You're trying to find those websites there because you don't just want the eyeballs because if you're spending a million dollars with these ads and you just kind of throw a million dollars at I me, mean, a lot of these guys, that's how they die is the ad stops converting and they don't, they, then they start scrambling and they, but they think they spent a million, make a million. They think they've made a million. They forgot. A, a lot of them have forgotten that they've spent that million to get that million. Mm. So it's very, so you need to find, you're finding resources that throw the most amount of customers willing to buy your way. So you're trying to find something that will convert five or 10,000 people your way in a, in a, in a day, or uh, you're trying to get something. I think we were targeting, trying to get five to 10,000 customers every single day was what we were trying to do. And then instantly get those emails to one, recoup the ad spend. I mean, we, at times we broke even and at times we made a little bit of money and we're not just the sole ones. This is a pretty common thing. Uh, there are people who will make money from that ad spend. Uh, very rare, but it happens. But then those emails is where you're trying to, it's where you're trying to cut it. And that's why it's so important. Those first two weeks are just absolutely critical uh, to that particular model, which is why it's so aggressive and so scammy. It's why the customers go away because they're not, they're not, you know, they're, they're just treated as something that, as that's something that financially validates a sales message uh, and financially validates uh, the, the email marketing. And then that's it. They don't, the product doesn't matter or anything like that. Pivoting away from the sales stuff. The main reason I like this show and have been doing this show since probably 2020 or mid 2020, I think I believe I want to learn from people I speak to what advice they'd give their younger younger selves like their 25 year old self because if i can i've done my fair share of screw-ups in my life but if i can learn from other people's mistakes and learn from other people's i guess advice i can maybe do a better job myself so i just wondered like if you could go back to the 25 25 year old version of you and assuming he listens to you because that's a whole other thing what advice would you give to that person it's <laughs> Yeah, I know when you put me, I saw that question. The the 25 is tough for me because I, I thought in that moment um I was going to take over Claire Motors, but I so I didn't expect that my dad was gonna get cancer. Um, you know, and then I didn't expect a whole lot of things. But still, I mean, for me, the biggest thing I missed there, and I missed this until for a while. Um, and maybe it really was what when I got out of the parts of an online marketing that I was doing it is recognizing my value. Now, when you're 25, you're still very young. You're still you don't know a whole lot. So to you have to work on cultivating your value and your strengths and your characters, right? Which takes uh, time, I think, which takes moving away from just hustle mindset and worried about where you are in the world and focusing on something uh, i mean i would tell myself to read old books and i've always been an avid reader so I would, I would probably listen to that but you have to recognize where you are instead of trying to uh, appease someone else or trying to make money your whole thing or, or trying to make you know the hottest woman your whole as your girlfriend the whole the whole entire thing right because it's just kind of the scramble so if you're able to recognize your value and recognize your worth in an honest manner, which is tough at 25, you know, because you're full of piss and vinegar, which isn't a bad thing. But if mm. you can see your strengths and try to cultivate those strengths and try to bring those strengths on the table uh, and, and make sure people are instead of like trying to get, 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 you'll see if people can prove to match those strengths or to pre or prove worthwhile of your time, you, whether that's a personal relationship, a friendship, 
uh, you know, romantic relationship, but even in your professional world, you know, work on those strengths and don't just try to get, 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 get. Not that you want to stop that hustle at 25. That's important to to cultivate that, right? That's a that's a really good time to be hustling and to focus on that. But yeah, just remember you offer something. If you're hustling that much, you're offering something as well. So you know, keep that in mind versus that you don't offer anything, right? I mean, I, I'm, you know, it's tough at 25 because, you know, you, you want mentors and you're going to have to shut up. You know, if a guy is 50 and he's been through it all and he's very mm. successful, yeah, shut up and listen to him, right? But, yeah, just around in your circle, you know, 25, other 25-year-olds, just recognize what you're bringing to the table and, and really work on those strengths and take that advice from those older guys um, who've been through it all. You know, if they tell you to make yourself sure to give yourself a pat on the back, then then do it. Um, you know, I, I would say that's probably what I would give myself, mm. uh, that advice. And I would probably say, I mean, to mm. me, if I was going to listen to, you know, keep reading the books that I like on history and forget all the hustle nonsense. Cause you already, mm. you don't need any of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's probably that. what would work for me. It might be a little too meta or inside baseball, but what happened in your life that made you recognize your own value and what you brought Oh, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> I, I, I'd consider myself a late bloomer with it. Okay. Yeah. From I mean, I really maybe maybe really until 2019 or 2020. I, I'm going to say really 2020 was very pivotal. You know, I, I think there was a couple of things early on that sort of knocked me off of that to recognize that. You know, I think when. My family business, I didn't realize when I got into it, I, I had a great work ethic. And, you know, and my dad's, even my dad's best friend say that. Says, yeah, says, your old man, he, or, you know, your father. I mean, my dad was an amazing man, but they're like, yeah, he, you, you have the discipline he never had. You know, but I didn't, I didn't know that at 25, right? Yeah. Right. So I, um, you know, I kind of got involved in more political games, you know, for the people who worked with him, because I think they, you know, I, I had my sights on that. I've always been a, a fairly competitive person. And so I had my sights, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Great. I was 25 and didn't really know anything, but I didn't, I wasn't able to grasp the political games. Right. So I kind of thought that I'm not, you know, I kind of had this, maybe I'm not enough, or maybe I'm not doing it, or I, I, I don't know. Right. So I kind of, undersold myself also it didn't help I, a woman and i got involved with it after the sale of the business turned out to be a professional con artist um, <laughs> so that <laughs> you know my whole world turned upside down after my dad passed and after you know first claire motor sold my world turned upside down my dad passed upside down again then i thought like oh great i've landed on my feet with an amazing woman but <laughs> hold on fuck you know so and I think then after that, it's kind of when I got into internet marketing, right? So I think I was a, a bit of this chasing, chasing, chasing. And I had no idea that I had anything to offer. Like I kind of thought I was an average Joe a little bit, you know, okay. so I, I was way overlooking things. It wasn't bad that I had that impetus to want to improve, but I think I had so much so that I didn't realize that like I had actually done some things in my life. So when I kind of realized that in 2020, it was like, oh man. So it was a superpower. You know, it's not saying like, oh, I've, you know, I've, I've arrived, you know, but it was kind of like, geez, you know, this is a lot better knowing what I bring strengths and weaknesses and all to the table versus thinking I'm just average guy need to constantly be swinging it to constantly be trying to knock grand slams out of the park. Right. Or, or I, you know, as, as far as Akadaka, you know, it goes, it's like, I constantly need to be writing back in black. You know, yeah. I, I need it. I always need it on that level or something. Yeah. Right? And that it was too much of, and not recognizing what I brought. I think that was the big thing. And then it, it came relatively quickly. I mean, I questioned it, but it came when I started, when I recognized it, I was like, oh man. So, so that was, that was the big thing, you know, uh, for me. With the family business stuff, I'm, um, my dad, my father spent 30 odd years working in public service in Australia, like in government, uh, and then mm -hmm. took a redundancy in Australia through the government, basically cutting jobs and got into the finance world 
doing mortgages like home loans for people and then always wanted me to join working for him and i hated the idea of working in a family business the whole the whole idea of it just made me cringe a little and it just felt like getting a free ride i i ended up joining the business covid hit shit went haywire similar to i think a lot of people right like i was living in vancouver i was a tour guide in vancouver taking people hiking in mountains and then covid hit my job became redundant i came back to australia worked as a prison guard for a little bit and then joined joined my dad uh working in the finance world and to yeah. this day i still don't feel like i'm really earning what i'm getting i feel like i'm the beneficiary of nepotism rather than really earning what i've got i've spoken to a few people that have worked in family businesses and it sounds like it's a pretty normal feeling to have but when you were working in that industry with your father, was that something that ever went away? Was it something you ever had? No, you know, it's funny. Um, I had immense pride in Claire Motors. And it was my grandfather started it and my dad really helped expand it. So I had enormous amount of pride in it. And maybe because the car business culture at that time, which, you know, which it, it changed a lot after 2008, there were a lot of family businesses and it was kind of a, a, a mark of pride, like a third generation, fifth generation, you know, it was kind of the thing like really involved in the communities where those stores are, are at. Um, so I had an enormous amount of pride in it. The, you know, I didn't view it as a, as a nepotism thing. My thing was like, geez, I hope I don't fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. You know, like I, you know, I, that was more like the, and then when my, you know, the political games, like one of the managers was, was giving me a schedule that was like way too easy. That would be like, there are a lot of dealer sons and daughters who are complete idiots and they're coddled and they kind of then get into a position of power, but their parents or someone else will just set them up with really smart people around them just to not do anything. Yeah. But that, that runs into issues when their kid kind of gets to the same, mm. same thing. And it's also dangerous because in the car business, even if you're on the sales floor, if you're if you if you have any ability, at least in America, you can make a ton of money, right? So someone without a high school education, without who doesn't need any degrees, can come in and if they can sell, they can make an, a ton of money. So there's a lot of money to be made in it. And then if you're obviously the son of a dealer and you're getting into higher positions and you're 23, you're like, what do I do with this money? Yeah. <laughs> so that that can be a little bit corrupting, but after it had sold, then, I mean, this is, I, I don't think I've ever shared this anywhere, or at least publicly, maybe mm -hmm. parts of my articles, but I thought that that money, because my dad passed, you know, I'm an only child, so listeners can figure it out. I thought that was like a curse. I thought like every dollar that I, that, you know, he had made that something I'm now, now I'm looking at, I thought that was a, a curse of how much I didn't make it, mm. which was odd, right? I didn't yeah. see it as a gift. I thought it as a curse. I thought it was, I was like this thing over my head. I didn't really buy too much into the, oh, I'm white privilege and all that, you know, the, the progressive stuff. I was like, yeah. geez, this is a curse. It shows how much I can't make it. Mm. I think that was part of the scramble that I got into a little bit with online marketing because I felt like, oh my God, I can write a copy and I can beat the money mark here. And that was starts almost set up a little bit of an unhealthy element of like, I'm going to absolutely... I, I didn't, well, I was kind of putting out of my mind. I was using like Tony Robbins things to put out of my mind. Like <laughs> that was 20, that was an automotive empire of 22 car dealerships and 17 franchises and body shops. And I'm thinking I'm going to be sitting here online and I'm like, I mean, I was making great money. Yeah. Right. But I'm like, I got to beat it. I'm like, I got to beat that. I'm like, I'm going to do it just on one sales letter away. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit, I wasn't that, that like, Gollum, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but it did kind of set up a little bit of, of that unhealthy scramble. So I had more of that, you know, my long-winded answer. So I had more of that, it's not nepotism, but afterwards I thought that spoke to me that I wasn't providing value. Like I was like, geez, I'm just some kid who got this and I don't offer anything to the world. Yeah. Like I, I need to make a big, you know, so I, it was great that I went to spread my wings, but I, I, I needed to, realize like that, that this was sort of a a gift right and then it's funny thing is when i when i 
came across uh, Thomas Soul, who's my intellectual hero, I started to realize, I'm like, geez, it's great to have family businesses that have been around. And if they do, you know, if they're training their sons or daughters to do pretty well and they do well with it, that's pretty cool because that I now can see the importance of it. You know, everyone will cry nepotism and everything like that. But I, you know, I, I can now realize like the difference that my family had in certain communities because they were that that family feel is something special. And yeah, you can tell, well, my son's going to take it over, but you know, a good, and my dad said, you don't ever have to do this. You don't have to do this. I want you to do your own thing. But he did, you know, there was my grandfather was like, you're going to be great in the car business. You got to get into the car business. Right. So, but now I have an enormous amount of pride. I mean, I did before, but now it's not, I don't see it as like, Oh God, it's a yeah. curse. I need to, I need to beat this thing. I need to become the next, you know, Tony Robbins or something to beat this particular thing or, or whatever. So I, I can see a well-run family business, I think, has a very important place, no matter it, no matter its success. And well, I mean, hopefully it's very successful. You, you don't you don't want some grinding away for yeah. eight generations, you know. But but if it's very, very successful, I think that's a I think that's an awesome thing. Do you just mean that you were able to see some of the positives that a family business was bringing to a community and the difference it was making to people's lives? Is that sort of what you were able to see to not focus so much on the negatives? Yeah, well, it was it was a few things. Oddly enough, what sort of made me not see the money as a curse was a Arthur Schopenhauer piece because he he himself had inherited a lot of money. But he said, you know, it's what the person does. They may not be in commerce as far as making a ton of money, but if they can provide in some way, shape or form, whether it's philanthropy, great writing through the arts that says a lot like if they can kind of take what would be that almost that country gentleman life of the victorian era where you know you have this uber wealthy country english gentleman but in some way shape or form they are providing whether it's in the world of ideas the world of arts the world of aesthetics or something like that that they can take those kind of talents to do something i'm not i'm not saying i'm i'm in in, in, in par with those guys mm. But that helped me rank, uh, kind of wrangle. It's like, well, geez, I can do something with this versus the scramble I'm doing now, trying to, you know, beat the money mark of my of my dad and grandfather or something. Um, it's great that I I did well, but it's like, geez, I can I can do something else. The soul thing I, I saw that it's a testament to like to good economics in a sense that if a family can make it and a family can make a ton of money, they are doing something, they are providing something that a lot of people want and it's amazing because you know a business can go out of business for any any number of reasons and it's not just necessarily mismanagement always mm. right it can be a variety of things that can happen so if a family can withstand that and and do well yeah i think that provides a sense that on one end that a a person like my grandfather who grew up completely dirt poor can provide something that was life-changing to a lot of people in various ways, uh, provide something to a, a community in, in a various set of ways. You know, I, I think there's something uh, special to that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not easy at all, right? It's not easy, but I think there is a particular bond that can happen that I think that can work that speaks to a lot of things. And if people keep coming back, they may not really care that it's a family business, but if it's been there forever, you know, or it's, or it's, there's a trustworthiness about it to certain people. I think that, that you don't find very often. Yeah. When something says family owned since da, 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 it seems to have a little bit of um, straight cred, I guess, or it just seems a little more, I don't know, serious, authentic is the word, authentic. It's funny what you said about Yeah, usually. Um, yeah, you hope yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a uh, here where I am in Colorado, Denver, I'm in the, the city here, is, uh, there is a, uh, a strip club that's like a fourth generation. <laughs> like, that's quite the family business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Like, four gen, I mean, you know, I tip the hat. Four generations in that business, I imagine, can't be easy. Like, oh, yeah. what are you, what are you taking over? I'm yeah. taking over the strip club. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but it's stuck around. I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a strip club kind of guy, but it, it's odd that like four generations. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a like, lot. Like, how do you raise your family to take that over? Yeah, that's <laughs> like, a crazy industry to grow up in. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. It's funny what you said about your dad. Like, my dad's the exact same. 
he's never he's never forced me to take on more position in the business than what I feel like I can do. And he recognizes that I want to do the best by him because he built this himself, you know, and and it's something that I, I wanted to, I don't know, I want to honor that. I don't want to, I don't want to do a shit job of something my dad does really, really well. I don't really want to, I guess, make a mockery of what he's built. So it's something that I grapple with a lot. Yeah. Last question. Do you have book recommendations? Because I see a massive bookshelf behind you, which is always they funny do. on Zoom videos. It's always like it's cool, but it's also like a humble brag, isn't it? Like, yeah, well, <laughs> I like my this isn't this is like my uh, this is like my backup bookshelf. The humble brag. Nice. You know, so they, some, of these, some of these books are like the punished books. Okay. Okay. You know? Yeah, because I have a, a bookshelf that I to the great books out there that that would be like the total like oh yes well <laughs> would you like some Aristotle? <laughs> what kind of uh, any any particular recommendations are are you looking for? Or... Probably I'll probably skip any self help stuff because I've got too many self help books to the point I think I might bin or give away a lot of them because I've sort of got all that I can maybe from self help books. So I don't know like. Yeah, I, I well, yeah. I wouldn't, I would never recommend many of those. I mean, I love, I mean, Thomas Sowell. I'll, I'll go. I mean, he's my intellectual hero. Uh, I mean, basic economics is is probably the easiest way to get into Sowell. Uh, he is, he is absolutely phenomenal, and you can learn so much from basic economics. It's, I mean, how the how the world works, psychology. It is an absolutely brilliant book. Yeah, that that one is is amazing. Yeah, I, I would I would go with that one. If someone's looking for fiction, if there's any copywriters that you have out there, um, Terminal List by Jack Carr is great for copy. It's a very fun read, right? Okay. It's a you know he's a, Jack Carr is actually is an ex Navy SEAL. Uh, I think I believe he was a Navy SEAL sniper, so he was a real deal Navy SEAL, and he just wrote a, a very fun series. Uh, but just, they're a lot of fun, you know, nothing life changing, but, uh, but just a a lot of fun to read. And if you're looking for business writing, I think Jack Carr's style of writing is, is very good for that. Yeah. And as far as fiction, well, I love, I don't know how popular it is down there in Vancouver, not Vancouver in Australia, but uh, Raymond Chandler, you know, the big sleep. So he's kind of the hard boiled detective. So, you know, it's very Hollywood and raw 1930s, Los Angeles. So some of the references might not make a lot of sense <laughs> down to the land down on. That's okay. But uh, I, yeah, I don't, Raymond Chandler is my favorite fiction writer, you know, so Chandler and soul was my, always my fallback recommendations, but yeah. any, anything soul is, is absolutely incredible. There's a, there's a book I read when I was uh, a few years ago. I've got a lot of, I used to live in Melbourne, which is like the hipster capital of Australia. <laughs> and I've got a lot of hipster friends that love literature and that's definitely rubbed off on me. And they gave me a book recommendation that I was thinking of when you were talking about seeing your own value, uh, a book called Siddhartha. It's a really oh, yeah. short read. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's a great book. I love that book a lot. Yeah. Well, if you look at more literature, um, I think the, the best fiction I have ever read is uh, The Growth of the Soil by Knut Hampson. I mean, I, I mean, I love Don Quixote. I love Dostoevsky. Um, I love even Herman Melville. But man, growth of the soil as far as values, and also that actually does have a lot about kind of somewhat going into the family business. I mean, not a lot, but there is those themes are in there because the main character his two he has well he has three children, um, but one of his sons is perfect for his farm, and the other isn't. And you see him sort of wrangle with that. Uh, and it's just so beautifully done. You know, in Knut Hampson is is overlooked, which can be understandable. It doesn't help when you uh, praise uh, Adolf Hitler <laughs> during the, the 30s. That doesn't help. But in his themes, he doesn't he doesn't have those crazy. He's not a he doesn't have the, any of that crazy stuff. But growth of the soil is is beautiful. You know, it probably be, would be as famous as a lot of Hemingway kind of stuff today. If he, if Knut Hampson doesn't have that, yeah. Uh, if he didn't Hitler have some, que- if he didn't have some questionable beliefs alongside it, 
Right, right. So, you know, he, I mean, he was, I mean, a lot of Norwegians were, were sympathetic, but I mean, he was the famous Norwegian, so he took the fall for it. I mean, yeah, you know, the whole country. He, he put himself in that box. So. I, uh, I didn't plan this. I'm, I'm got 300 pages left of Dostoevsky, the brothers Karamazov. Oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't dude. read that one yet. Dude, fuck no, it. I'm going to do that Fucking soon. hell, it's a long read, bro. Like, I'm yeah. not. <laughs> well, too much. Right now I'm reading uh, Edward Gibbons' the, the Decline and the Fall of the Roman Empire. The oh, History geez, of the Decline okay. and the Fall of the Roman Empire. So and was it's it, yeah, it's about 3,000 some odd pages, the whole thing. Yeah, so. they're big books. If people want to learn more about what you do, if they want to get involved in your email list like I am, where can they find you? Just plug all anything you want to plug before we got out of here. Jimclair.com. So Jim and then C-L-A-I-R.com is where I'm at. My most, the reading portion of my site, when you see the articles, that that's where I, I write the most on. Um, you know, I don't write a whole lot much more in copy. I do have, and then I, and then all the success ideology is kind of written under the odds section, but that website, jimclair.com. And I'm on Twitter at find Jim Claire. I'm more active there. I'm, I'm trying to be more active. People, you know, it's, I don't know how these guys tweet multiple times a day. I'm like, Oh, I got to write a tweet. Today. Uh, but I am, I am more active there to get you know, a little bit more of my, my personality and everything like there. So th- those two spots would be probably be the best uh, to find me. Easy. Thank you again for your time, Jim. I really appreciate it, bud. Oh, thank you.